0: I'm your host, E.J. Andrews of Jays and Couch.com. Back on a weird day, I guess, um, after skipping yesterday. Just, um, just a heads up for those of you who are kind of new to the podcast and are kind of unaware what my recording schedule usually is, um, Locked On is a five days a week podcast network. Tuesdays are a terrible day for me to try and record just because that's that's my busy work day like I I do have another job so usually I'm busy doing that and if I do record on a Tuesday it's either a previous recording from Monday night or it's really really late on Tuesday so sometimes I will just not do it on Tuesdays but that means you get a bonus episode on the weekend, and who's giving you that? Who's really, who's willing to go in on Saturday or Sunday and give you that podcast goodness so you have something on the weekend to listen to after you burn through everything at work? I mean, I'm I'm really doing y'all a favor, so you're welcome. Anyway, we are we're gonna kind of talk about the Blue Jays in the second half of this podcast, but we have to talk about what happened last night. Um, near the end of my time at work. This is getting out. Um, Ken Rosenfall reported that the Mookie Betts deal was close. Turned out he was bang on because it appears to be a done deal with three teams, which it's a little weird, but once again, the Boston Red Sox have money issues and the Los Angeles Dodgers come galloping to the rescue. Uh, Boston will be sending Mookie Betts and David Price to Los Angeles. Um, They will be acquiring Alex Verdugo and Brewstar Gratterall um, from Minnesota. Minnesota will get Kenta Maeda out of the deal. Los Angeles wasn't done either. There is a trade where they're sending Jock Peterson, Ross Stripling, and prospect Andy Page to their crosstown rivals in Anaheim. Sorry, we have to designate you Anaheim in this one. I'm not going to say Los Angeles dealt with Los Angeles. Sorry. But anyway, Stripling, Petr- Peterson, and Page go to Anaheim in exchange for Luis Renquifo and another prospect that has not been named, but he's probably going to be high up on Anaheim's list. So that's that's a lot. That's a lot to delve into. Um, Like I said, we'll have the Blue Jays perspective on it in the second half of this episode. But for Boston, I am I am sorry if you're a Red Sox fan. I'm sorry, Sully, who handles Locked On MLB. This is a sign of just a a white flag surrendering. I mean, Boston doesn't even have a manager because their manager got caught cheating. So it's. It's a sign that they've basically given up, that they've surrendered the division to the Yankees and to a lesser extent, the Rays and are content to try and find that new window um, for competing. I have no idea where they're going to find it because it seems like they're caught between two worlds after this trade. You have guys like Chris Sale and JD Martinez and... And, and those guys are, are reaching the tail end of their prime. And then you have guys like Raphael Devers. And now you add Verdugo and Grotterol to that list. It, it, like the Red Sox still have work to do. They still have to try and figure out what they're going to be in, when they are going to be it. And they'll, they'll have some opportunities to figure that out now while they essentially see the division. But, it it has to be tough for fans who have kind of gotten used to winning over the last 15 years to just know like it's not going to be a surprise like it was in like um in 2016 uh like right after when like Bobby Valentine managed them for one year and it just cratered it's it's not going to be a surprise anymore it's you're going to lose so deal with it for Los Angeles i mean after Seeing the pitching market kind of dry up on them, they lost Yunjin Ryu to the Blue Jays, Yell, um, And then watching Garrett Cole sign with the Yankees, they, they didn't necessarily need to do something like this. But in order to kind of re-energize a fan base that, you know, saw two World Series get taken away from them and then watched as Washington just... Wrecked their best chance possibly of claiming that World Series. They had to do something to energize a fan base and acquiring arguably one of the best players in baseball will do that. And you can make the argument that he instantly becomes the best player in the National League. I mean, you'll make cases for Cody Bellinger, his teammate, which that outfield is scary. And you can make a case for Christian Yelich, depending on how he comes back from his injury. But Mookie Betts is the perfect guy atop your lineup. He gets on base. He hits on runs. He, he plays great defense. He does everything for you. And now Los Angeles has that in their outfield, and they'll probably stick A.J. Pollock in the middle. But, hey, two out of three ain't bad, as the old song goes. For Minnesota, this is a win-now move. Um... Blue Jays fans will remember Bruce Dark Gratterall as being the name kind of thrown around when Marcus Stroman was on the block. Gratterall was potentially the big piece they could have got back, and and Gratterall did make his MLB debut last year. He was all right in a relief role. He made ten appearances, had like a four, it was a four sixty ERA, I think, for Gratterall. Four sixty six. I was close, um, but you know he was twenty one. So being able to do that immediately and, and being able to keep that K rate above um, one per inning, it's it's a strong first step for a guy who, you know, when you acquire these prospects, you are taking a bit of a dice roll, at least with Gratterall. The Red Sox do have a bit of an idea of what he can do at a major league level. And for the Twins, Kenta Maeda brings much-needed fortification to the rotation that was a little thin after Jose Barrios and Jake Odorizzi Um, I believe their third starter before acquiring Maeda would have been Rich Hill who's 39 and then Homer Bailey who sucks so they needed to get someone they could rely on and Maeda kind of fits that bill Um, as for the Dodgers Angels part of it The Dodgers have had a logjam in the outfield for a while. They also had a logjam at starting pitching, even with the defection of Ryu. They brought back Alex Wood. They brought back, um, they brought in Jimmy Nelson. They're going to let Julio Urias try and get a spot in the rotation, although he really should have a spot in jail for the domestic violence charge. But sadly, I do not control that facet of the world. So obviously dealing from a position of strength stripling gets to go into the rotation immediately for for the angels because i mean who else do they have so it's a really good move for them um for the dodgers i guess ranjifo kind of moves into that utility infielder role it'll allow chris taylor to start more often and if they decide to bring up Gavin Lux this season, then they can bring him up slowly, knowing that they do have other options who can kind of take that backup role while he gets ready. And I mean, it will remain to be seen what other prospect that the Dodgers get back from the Angels, but um, it, it was it was basically a clearinghouse move. They took on all that money with David Price. They had to they had to move some out and getting Peterson and Stripling out of there will help kind of balance things out a little bit since they did just take on like $60 million in former Red Sox salary. So yeah, that, that is a lot to do in one February evening. So what does this mean for the Blue Jays? We're going to talk about it right after this message. You are locked on Blue Jays, your daily Toronto Blue Jays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we are back. So as I kind of broke down the trade from all angles, the the two trades, really, they are separate transactions. I am going to get into how this impacts the Ply Jays. So let's start with the obvious. First of all, third place is theirs to lose because Baltimore still sucks. And now Boston's going to suck. So the Blue Jays can comfortably slide back into that familiar third place role in the AL East almost by default, just because they, they have a rotation now and have batters who are on the up and up. So that that should be the floor. For Blue Jays fans. And and it probably raises their, their win total. I've seen a lot of people predicting about 80 wins for the Blue Jays. I think you can comfortably bump that up to 85. Because they're going to get like, what, 25 combined wins at least against the Red Sox and Orioles? Possibly 30. Um, cause they, they flat dominated Baltimore last season. I know Boston still has J.D. Martinez. And they'll still have to face Chris Sale. But... Hopefully, with an extra year of maturity, the batters have learned how to handle, well, especially left-handed pitching, because Boston's rotation now becomes very skewed to the left-hand side of the mound. If you look at their rotation right now, it's going to be Chris Sale, um, Eduardo Rodriguez, um, Martin Perez, I believe is their third, which, I mean... Good luck. That's that's all three lefties. And then um, they could move Gratterall into the rotation immediately, just depending on how he does in spring training. I don't know if they want to do that, but you you would be looking at moving Nathan Ivaldi back into the rotation, um, maybe giving a shot to Darwin's and Hernandez or Hector Velasquez to try and get that fifth spot. But all of a sudden, there are a lot of question marks there. For the Red Sox, in a, in a pitching staff that you know outside of Sale and Rodriguez had enough question marks as it was, so it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult for them to piece something together. And the Blue Jays should be able to handle. Like again, Sale and Rodriguez very difficult, but they've they've beaten up on both those pitchers before. They know how to do it. They're not frightening. They're not imposing like they once were. So. Given that, and given that the pitching staff will be better, and there won't be Mookie bets to hit like four hundred against the Blue Jays, like like he always seemed to, do. there there should be a uh, a stark improvement in their performance against the Red Sox this season. Now, I'm I'm gonna jump to the Angels for a sec because. I don't know if you noticed this when the Angels played the Blue Jays last season, but Luis Trinquiero seemed to do way too much damage against Toronto than an infielder of his caliber should. Like, I, I, I kept seeing him go up, and and he would, he would end up with like a triple or something, and I'd just be like, how, how is this? How is he able to just continuously? knock the ball around the park on his team. He's, like, a... He was a spare for the Rays. Like, like I said, he, he all of a sudden was, like, was, like, Lucky Betts against them. Which, by the way, Betts, career 318 hitter against the Blue Jays. So, don't have to deal with that anymore. Which is awesome. But, yeah, um, moving a guy like Renhifo out... Um Obviously, he would have lost his playing time to Anthony Rendon, and given they they still have Simmons and David Fletcher, will probably take over at second, and then whatever a combination of Albert Pujols and a Scarecrow stand they have playing first. Um, that'll that'll be that, but um. <sighs> Bringing in Jock Peterson obviously adds more of a power threat to a lineup that has a lot of them already. I mean, it. it's going to be Peterson, Rendon, Otani, Trout, and Pujols. Trying to navigate that lineup will be very difficult. And that seems to be the Angel strategy this season is just we're going to out hit you. We know we don't have any starting pitching. We couldn't get any starting pitching. So we're just going to out slug you, which... It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it actually plays op- pays off in a playoff berth. For Mike Trout, that would have been so much better if I didn't mess that up. But whatever. We do it live here. So, the Angels will probably be a little bit better. But as long as the uh, the hitters of the Blue Jays can, you know, just do do the damage they need to do. Against a rotation that is not great and a bullpen that is not great, you know, again, they don't have to worry about the friggin' nine. What is it? Nine for twenty. Renhefa was against Toronto last season. Batted four fifty, with it's like. Yeah, it's like five five of them were for extra bases. I I knew he he in order inordinately damaged the Blue Jays. So, I am very happy to see Renhivo gone. But again, it's it's a team that's like the antithesis of Atlanta. Like like if you if you look at the pitching they brought in, they're going to be relying on like Dylan Bundy to find his form, and then I already mentioned Stripling coming in. They have Julio Teheran, who's who they're going to be banking on for a bit. Um, Andrew Haney's back. They're going to need Jaime Barria and Griffin Canning to be, take big steps forward. They acquired Matt and Frazier from Arizona. They are they are grasping at straws for pitchers, so it's just going to be a matter of you know trying to outslug Anaheim. Now what Minnesota did is scary. Like I I think a lot of people were like, oh, the White Sox are going to are going to make their move now. They got Keikel, they have all these these younger guys. They signed Edwin. White Sox are going to be dangerous. That division is still Minnesota's to lose, especially, you know, they they signed Josh Donaldson. Um their only real major loss in the offseason was Kyle Gibson, and that's, that's nothing, really. I mean, yeah, I know the Blue Jays wanted him, but don't cry tears for, for Kyle Gibson. He'll get lit up in Texas, but with the talent on that Twins team, with Donaldson added to a lineup that has Eddie Rosario and... Max Kepler and Nelson Cruz, who's still defying father time by blasting 40 home runs. It's, it's going to be a difficult lineup to navigate again. And, you know, we'll see if Mitch Garber is able to replicate that 2019 where he suddenly went off for like a boatload of home runs and see just how they're able to piece things together. Who's going to play first base for them. It'll probably be Miguel Sano who also can hit, among other things. So, yeah, Minnesota's going to be scary. I expect them to win the Central Division again. Even even if the rotation's a little shaky, Maeda slots into that number three spot, and if he's just an average pitcher behind Barrios and Odorizzi, Minnesota's going to be just fine. They're going to be a tough out, and... Again, I expect them to win the division again over the White Sox. So that will be annoying for the Blue Jays to have to deal with that. But again, for the most part, a net gain for Toronto, especially since they don't have to play the Dodgers in that loaded outfield. So hooray for that. And that will bring us to the end of this episode where we celebrate the demise of the Red Sox. If you want to join me in the celebrations, um, feel free to contact me at a underscore J underscore Andrews on Twitter. The underscores are there because Twitter is dumb. Um, Follow the podcast while you're there at Locked on Jays. You can also get in touch on Facebook and Instagram through the Locked on Jays accounts there. We appreciate Facebook messages just as much as we appreciate Twitter messages. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get podcasts, make sure you click that button so you do not miss an episode. And, you know, you don't have to worry about it on Tuesdays likely. But we will be coming at you five times a week to give you the baseball goodness like we just delivered here. So that will be it. And for everyone at the Lockdown Podcast Network and everyone at com, I'm Angie Andrews. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. And y'all take care.